The scripture today comes from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 13, in the Passion and Inclusive Bible. Examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do your good deeds, only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your Abba God. So when you give to the poor, don't announce it and make a show of it just to be seen by people like the hypocrites in the streets and in the marketplace. They've already received their reward. But when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly and your Abba God, who sees all you do, will reward you openly. Whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they've already received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Abba God, praying to God in secret. And your God, who sees all you do, will reward you openly. When you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases, praying like the Gentiles do, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There is no need to imitate them, since your Abba God already knows what your need is before you ask God. Pray like this. Our beloved Abba God, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done. Release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with the power and glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I use the inclusive Bible a lot for, a lot, for obvious reasons. We here at Imago uh, believe that God is beyond gender. And so the language in the inclusive Bible is inclusive language. And it's just really lovely how the, uh, the translators of that um, translation work to make it uh, flow a little bit more in a modern way and an understanding, and I just deeply love the Passion Translation as well. I just realized that uh, I use Bible Gateway to look at different translations, and I just realized about a month or two ago that Bible Gateway took the Passion Translation off of their option, so that maybe they don't consider it orthodox anymore, so that makes me love it even better. I don't know why they took it off, but anyway. So I raised my children in a church environment that was very focused on their ministers looking a certain way. Their dad was a music minister. Uh, He was associate minister at some churches, youth minister at others. And depending on whichever church we were serving, he would be one of the three or all of the three, music, youth, or associate pastor. And so my kids spent the majority of their lives as a minister's kid. And when Colby, Colby is 28 now. He has my grandchild, and they moved to Bloomington, yay. Um, So I get to see them all the time. But when he was about six years old, we were serving at a church in uh, Tupelo. And um, on Wednesday nights, we had like a big meal out in the, you know, like in the gym. And the bathroom, there were some bathrooms in there. And evidently, Colby and some of the other little kids that were his age would, like, run back into this hallway where the restrooms were, and they would, like, where the girls' bathroom was. When they knew the girls went in there, they would just fling open the door and run. They didn't even look in there. They just did it to kind of terrorize the girls, which little boys do. Anyhow, 
So we were not aware that this was happening. So the chairman of the deacons sends, gives us a phone call and says, we need to talk. Great. So he sits down with us and tells us what I just told you. And he's like, no, obviously he can't do that. We need you to have a conversation. Well, for sure, absolutely. And I'm sitting there, and I realize that it's deacons' kids that are doing this with him. So me, I ask, so you're going to talk to the deacons, the deacon kids' parents? Are you going to talk to them? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't. He didn't. He singled out my kid. We always felt... I was a stay-at-home mom, and I always felt the pressure of making sure that I spent my money in a good way because they would make comments to me. Like if I wore something new on Sunday morning, this is what I would get. Oh, that's a pretty dress. You know what that means. You're spending your money on a new dress for yourself. Or they would do it to my kids. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty dress Anna Catherine has on. Hmm. And I would always feel compelled to say, I got it at a yard sale. I got it at the thrift store. Somebody gave it to me. And I still fight that tendency to this day when someone says something nice to me about something I'm wearing. I still fight that, I got it on clearance. But it just built this fear of others' expectations of me. When Colby, and I think I've shared this with you before, when Colby was about 14 years old, we were at a church in Huntsville, and he had, it was either a Kiss or an ACDC shirt. I can't remember which one. But he was at a Kroger on a Tuesday evening getting groceries, picking up some things from the store for us. And one of the deacons saw him at Kroger, calls my ex-husband, Colby's dad, and says, I just saw Colby and Kroger with a Kiss t-shirt on. And we're like, and what? Well, we just don't think it looks good for the preacher's kid to be wearing a KISS t-shirt. And Sammy says, or asks, didn't you listen to KISS when you were back in the day? Well, yeah, but it doesn't look good. That was our focus when our children were young, was making sure we towed the party line, we looked a certain way, we acted a certain way, we were a certain way. We had a pastor who would always say, if you take care of the way things look, you take care of the way things are. And that's how we lived our lives. You remember the people talking about the Billy Graham rule, right? Like where ministers are not ever supposed to be alone with another woman that's not a member of their family. Or um, like you would never go into, if I wanted to talk to a pastor at any of these churches we were in, and like, I need some help with this situation. They would make sure that their wife was in there with us because I might attack him, right? In my lust-filled haze, yeah, I was dangerous. But in fairness, it wasn't just me. It was all women. We couldn't do that. Billy Graham, would even he even took it to this level that if he was on an elevator, on a public elevator, and he was by himself, and if a woman got on as they stopped between floors, he would get off. He wouldn't be alone in an elevator with another woman. And so this was drilled into your head. If you take care of the way things look, you take care of the way things are. So allow me to ask you, is that true? No. Anybody following all the sexual abuse that's been exposed in the Southern Baptist Convention? Yeah. Yeah. It's not true. 
So far, in the, in the, from the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard Jesus say that people are blessed, the people that are blessed, are not the people that we think of as blessed. And that we are to be salt and light. And that we, we are to restrain our baser lusts, keep our commitments, confront our hateful thoughts toward those who are hateful. Oof. To not return evil for evil and to love our enemies. And without missing a beat, Jesus tells us in chapter 6, continue your spiritual practices for they are important, but don't be a hypocrite about them. It's not about looking good. It's not about being holier than others, but being focused on the ways that we can truly connect with God. The first verse says, examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do your good deeds, only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your Abba God. Showing off our good deeds. <clears throat> Amy Jill Levine says that to be a disciple means less about believing in a set of propositions and more about acting upon God's word as interpreted by Jesus. You know, I was taught just believe, right? Just believe. I was taught to agree with a set list of biblical convictions. I was taught to believe those biblical convictions, and maybe you were too. And a lot of those convictions were external rather than internal. I don't remember a whole lot of preaching in my lifetime that focused more on the internal. It was always more on the external. As a woman, I was taught that I was to be modest in the way that I dressed. You know, shirt up to here, not too tight, not too short. You don't want to be a stumbling block, cover up. I was taught to listen to the right music and read the right books and only watch PG movies. Don't sit in a bar at a restaurant or people think you're drinking. I was taught that. It'll hurt your witness if people see you sitting at a bar. Be submissive to authority, especially your husband, and on and on and on. I don't remember being systematically taught to check my motives. I'm sure it probably got mentioned, but for me it was more about behavior control. We need to control your behavior. We were listening to, uh, Terry and I were listening to, a, um, to Spotify on the way over here this morning, and this song came on the, in my, off my playlist, and I had to just burst out laughing. It was a song from 1990, the year I graduated from high school, and it was a song that I loved, but I could not ever tell anybody I loved because it was a little salacious. And I was, you know, I was neck deep in church and religion and all that good stuff when I was 17 years old, so nobody... It was just so funny, and we were listening to it and laughing about it, but it just brought back that memory of enjoying that song but never being able to say that I did or never feeling like I could. But here, I want to ask you something before I move on, though. Would anyone like to share if they were taught some biblical, biblical convention, convictions that were more external than internal? What were some of the things, if you were, that were taught to you that externally showed you were a believer? Some of those convictions that you've come to realize they really didn't mean that I was a Christian or not. Just because I listen to contemporary music all the time does not make me a Christian. Just because I enjoy Def Leppard does not mean I'm not. Right. J.J. mentions the constant need to evangelize. I'll share, you, I'll share a little story about that, 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 that evangelism. When I was a teenager, we had this like evangelist that would come every year to our church. 
you all know that I grew up in a very small town. I mean, very small town. Everybody was in church. If they weren't in church, mm, I think everybody went to church. <laughs> you just did. And so we, my little church of 90 people, this evangelist would come in every year. And this is what he would do. We would have to meet an hour before church. We'd meet at 6 p.m. in the church parking lot. Revival started at 7. It would be a week-long revival. And we went on this thing that he called scrambling. He called it scrambling. So what we would do, all the youth would meet, and those that could drive, we would go all over Belmont, which wasn't that much, and whoever we saw, if they were in the parking lot of a convenience store, if they were in Big Star getting a pick up and a, picking up a pack of hamburger buns, it didn't matter. You were to grab them and take them with you back to church, like a kidnapping kind of thing. Yeah, a scrambling thing. And he would say, you got to go into the highways and the byways. Get them all. Compel them all to come to the house of the Lord. And so we just, it was like this competition, right? So you've got all these barely legal drivers all over the small town. All these kids went to church. But my heavens, they're probably not saved. If they're Church of Christ, there's no way they're saved. If they're Methodist, they're not saved. We need them here. And so we would do this thing in the, in the, the front, and he'd make us sit on the front row, and it'd be just packed, packed. He would say, I don't care if they're wearing their bikini. I think he probably would have cared about that. But that was a little nice little shtick to add to it. I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care what they're doing. Get them here. And then that guy would preach hard for maybe 10 minutes. Just, you are worms. You are dirt. You're going to hell. Blah, 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 blah. And then it would be a 45, I'm not kidding, 45-minute altar call. And he would say, I'm not leaving. I'm not stopping until you get down here at this altar. I remember one revival. We did this for years. I remember one particular revival. He knew who the chairman of the deacons was. His name was Greg. He said, Greg, you're the chairman of the deacons. Can you tell me why you're not down here at this altar playing, praying for lost souls? So what did Greg do? He went to the altar. I bet he wasn't praying for lost souls, though. He's probably praying for God to get that man behind the pulpit. It was something. It was something. And it didn't matter if you felt any kind of conviction of anything. You went to the altar because everybody was there. You didn't want to look, be the one standing out there because they're going to think, oh, I'm not saved. Or I'm in rebellion against God. I'm a backslider. Anybody heard the word backslider? Backslider. Man. All external. All external. Go to the altar. Listen to the right music. Watch the right movies. Listen to the right songs. But Jesus tells us that internal motivations are just as important as external ones. And this is where it gets a little bit challenging to me because... We just read last week that we are supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to shine our light before men so that others may be drawn to Jesus. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Because shining our light makes us visible, right? But then we're told, but don't be. Well, what, what's going on? It's a little bit difficult to kind of meld those two. You remember the song, This Little Light of Mine? There you go. 
Hide it under a bushel? No. no. That's right. How do we square that with doing our deeds in public, doing good deeds in public? To be kingdom people, to be focused and longing and praying for God's will, to be done on earth as it is in heaven, there are external acts of righteousness that take place. That's part of it. And we should use our voices in ways that would please God, that are honoring to God, that we know Jesus told us to do. We should use our voices to speak out against systemic racism, to speak for equal rights for people, for women, minorities, disabled, people on the margins, to speak up for justice, to speak out against injustice. Those acts of righteousness require us to be public. We should be using our voices to remind other Christians that anti-Semitism and white supremacy and white Christian nationalism is unholy, it is unchristlike, and it is unacceptable as a follower of Christ. Since that January 6th insurrection thing, I've come to learn that a lot of this belief in a stolen election was allowed to fester and take root in a lot of our churches. It was coddled from the pulpit. And so much of this Jesus and John Wayne mentality had been brewing inside of our churches for years and years. And it was inevitable that at some point our pastors would put a stamp of approval on conspiracy theories and even violence. And that is unholy. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. That is when we speak up and use our voice. We use our voices to call out these things because it's wrong. And it's what Jesus would do. It's what Jesus wants us to do. But by using our voices, we definitely draw attention to ourselves, right? Anybody been in a fight on somebody with, with somebody on Facebook? No, no, not a bit, not a bit. I, 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 are you like me sometimes when those fights break out on Facebook among people? You don't like or anything. You don't chime in or anything, but you just follow. You're like getting the popcorn. Oh, this is getting good. Oh, that was a good point right there. Yes, get him. Or, oh, I think you went too far. Yeah, we do that, right? The question Jesus is asking us here is, what is your motive? What is your motive when you do good? Does this make me look good when I do this or say this? Or am I really saying this to shame you because you don't do this and you should? That's been my, that's been my thing. That's not okay and it's not a good motive. These humble brags we do on social media, these self-glorifying posts, yeah, those are not good. And we have to check ourselves from time to time to see are my motives right here? Not only on social media, but with family and friends. Humble brags. I do it. You probably do it sometimes too. But the difference can be that check in our spirit that's saying, your motive has gotten twisted, Melinda. It's self-serving. It is look at me. Verse 2, when you give to the poor, don't announce it and make a show of it just to be seen like by people like the hypocrites in the streets. They've already received their reward, but when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly and your Abba God, who sees all you do, will reward you openly. Jesus tells us when we give, same thing, check the motive. And whenever you pray, 
Don't be like the pretenders who love the attention they receive. While praying before others in the meetings. Y'all know people that pray in King James English, right? They really put that on, right? Like, you don't talk that way in real life. Or they use the big words. They use like propitiation and sanctification and all that. You, you never use that word in a sentence in real life. What does even propitiation mean? Yeah, the pretenders. The word pretenders here means hypocrites. And it comes from the root that means a masked actor. And I'm thinking of the masked singer show. I've never seen it, but I got the concept. You know, some celebrity or some D-list celebrity um, is in a costume and they're singing and we have no clue who that person is and trying to guess. When we live our lives with that mask on, no one ever knows who we really are. And we all need more than anything a lot of times connection with others. We don't get that connection when we have that mask on. It's not possible. We just don't get connection with mask on. If you believe something I'm not, and if you believe that that, and you believe that because that was the mask that I have shown you, we will never have an honest connection with one another. I'm picking on pastors today. I'm sorry. I guess I can, right? Pastors in my past, I wanted so badly in these church we served, I wanted so badly for just one of those pastors to stand before an entire congregation and say, I struggle with things. This is what I struggle with. I'm, I'm not good at this. I don't always make that right. These are my failures. This, I failed. I failed right here. I wanted to hear that once, but I never heard that. I never heard that from a pastor. So what is that communicating to us? I got it all right. I live my life pretty good. I'm making Jesus happy. We know that's not true because nobody does that. But I need to know that you're human. You need to know that I'm human so we can connect with one another, someone to relate to. Several years ago when we were serving at that same church in Tupelo, it was a pastor that never would admit any kind of struggle, failing, anything. It was always just, it was a great preacher, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. But it was just, just exposition. Just, this is what the scripture means. I'm like, well, who are you? Who are you? When my life is falling apart, you're the person I need to come to, but I don't know who you are. Uh, his wife was a dear friend of mine. They were several years older than us, and I just thought they had it perf this perfect life. You know, their kids were grown. They all had this just been on vacation together. They were just this perfect little family that were following Jesus so well. And I'm struggling here to raise these three brats, I mean children. <laughs> and I'm like, help, I'm dying. Help, I'm dying. Somebody help me here. They were we were at a Bible study one night, and Anne was her name. And we were walking out of the church. It was just she and I. And I said, Ann, I just have to tell somebody. I'm really struggling right now in my marriage. You probably never think about divorcing your husband. Never. So I guess you don't understand. And she looks at me and just incredulous, says, Melinda, I thought about divorcing him last week. You did? Y'all been married like 40 years. Yes, Melinda. 
We fight. And I want to leave him sometimes, and I'm sure he wants to leave me. And it was just this floodgate of, oh, you're not perfect like me. You're someone I can relate to. When my marriage eventually did fall apart many, many years later, she was one of the first people I reached out to. This word hypocrite that means masked actor has an added layer of meaning. It's a form of deceit that appears to be a self-deceit and the attempt to deceive others. When we have that mask on, not only are we deceiving others, but we deceive ourselves. Scott McKnight says, and I love this quote, I have, I have chewed on this all week long. What Jesus aims at is the self-deceit that weaves itself into the fabric of a person's spirituality in which there is not only a notice-me approach, but also an inability to know that the problem is present. We can't see it ourselves. And if we live like that for an extended amount of time, and when that mask finally comes off, and trust me, it does, it does, we leave people decimated and ourselves as well. How many have been in a situation with somebody that you love and they do something heinous and you are, I don't even know who you are. I thought I knew you, but I don't know who you are. They do something so completely out of character that you're just blown away. Maybe it was because of those masks. You think you need it, but you don't. One of the things that I love about Imago is you don't need to be someone you're not. You don't. Not that that doesn't mean that we need, don't need to try and work and, 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 and look inside ourselves and deal with our mess inside. We should. And hopefully we're all encouraged to do that here. But that sign right outside that door when you come in that says, come as you are, it really does mean that. It really does. I couldn't judge you if you paid me because I got too much mess of my own. And once you've lived a little bit, you get that. I can't. I can't. Take off your mask. You are home. You have a soft place to land right here. And when you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases praying like the Gentiles do, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. Years ago, we were at a church in Tishomingo, Mississippi, and there was a deacon that, you know, in, in the Baptist church, people, the, the men, would come forward for the offering time, and they'd stand right here before they grabbed the plates, and, and the, one of the deacons would pray. And, and the first time I ever heard Bubba pray, yes, his name, there are Bubbas in the South, yes, I know. I'm sorry that's stereotypical, but his name was Bubba. This is how Bubba would pray. Dear God, we are just so stupid. We just don't get it right. God, I feel like I ain't ever going to get it right. And, and the first time he started praying like that, I got my head down like, who in the world is that? Just so honest. I'm an idiot God sometimes. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Like, oh my gosh, I knew better. I knew better and I did it anyway. What an idiot. And sometimes it's just nice to be able to come out and say that. Now hopefully we don't wallow in that and think that for a like really internalize that. Hopefully that's a, a short time thing. We don't have to pray in King James English. Just be you. 
And I hope that you notice in all of these segments in Matthew 5, when you do good, when you give, when you pray, these are not commands to do good, pray, and give. They are assumed that this is already your practice. The Jewish people didn't have to be told, you need to do good, you need to pray, you need to give. That was already their practice. And then Jesus teaches them how to pray. Our beloved Abba God, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center in which our lives turn and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done. Release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil, for you are the king who rules forever with power and glory forever. Our beloved Abba God. What are the other translations? We talked about it a little bit earlier. What are the other translations? Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. Anything else? Just Father? Father is problematic for some of us. I get it. I get it. And it's Father's Day. That can be tricky too. And some of us were taught this descriptor of God is Abba, where we see Abba means daddy. Can I ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had somebody tell you that Abba means daddy? Okay. It does not. Brought a revelation for me this week. In modern Hebrew, it does mean daddy. But who was speaking modern Hebrew back then? Well, they weren't. They weren't modern. (laughs) And they weren't speaking Hebrew. They were, people, they were speaking Aramaic. It means father. Abba means father. So rather than have this nice cuddly image of your daddy holding you in his arms, which is fine if you had a great daddy, but if you didn't, who relates to that? Amy Jill Levine says that um, to call God father is to evoke all the positive images of paternity. God is provider, protector, ever-loving, and ever-compassionate. God doesn't have a dark side. God doesn't have a bad side. But at the same time, to pray our Father necessarily connects all those praying as part of the same family. So when we come together and we say, Our Father who art in heaven... Not only by using that language of father, we're also saying we're what? If it's your father, it's my father. If it's your father, it's my... We're family. We're family when we say our father. We're family when we say our mother. We're family. When we pray our father together, it reminds us of our connectivity as a family, as brothers and sisters. And we pray to God our mother is the same effect. There's a New Zealand translation that says, eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, and life giver. Isn't that beautiful? To start that prayer off with eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver. And so Jesus is telling us how to pray. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need today. Give us this day our daily bread, in other translations. 
I don't know if any of you have lived a time in your life where you didn't know how you were going to get groceries the next week. But I have. Not too long ago. When you know this, when you live this, God, I'm thankful for my daily bread because that's all I can be thankful for today because I don't have money for milk tomorrow. This becomes more real to us. And there are people that this is very real for today. Forgive us the wrongs we've done. Release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Because we are forgiven, we forgive others. Because we are a grace-given people, we are a grace-giving people. We've been graced. We grace. I'm skipping ahead so we can wrap up. I know I'm getting long here. So I'm going to wrap this up. Go back to the beginning of this Lord's Prayer. Our beloved Abba God, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. What is God's purpose? I think the Sermon on the Mount helps us see what that, some of the answer to that question. Going back to Matthew 5, God's purpose is for us to be salt and light in the world. There's a better way to live and move and work in this world, and it involves upside-down thinking. Those that our culture believes should be exalted, we should not. We should think differently about people who have less than us, less privilege, less less, less power, less love. The message, it says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. God's purpose is for us to model, teach, and tell others of this better way, of God's kingdom on earth. God's purpose is for us to flourish through healthy relationships, fidelity to our partners. Don't murder people, but also don't want them dead in your mind. Or at least don't wish them harm in your head. God's purpose is that we love the unlovable. This is how kingdom people live. Matthew 6, we don't go around tooting our own horns over the pious and how, spir- how pious and spiritual we are. Look at me, look at me. I do this Christian thing so much better than you. We say we would never do that, but if I'm honest, there's times I do. Matthew 6 tells us to take off the mask and be who we say we are. Pray like this instead of phony, empty prayers. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as beloved, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. God's purpose is that we love people more than things. God's purpose is that we should be present with people and, and try not to be anxious about what might or might happen to us, what might happen or what, what might not happen. God's purpose is that we not judge each other. Focus on ourselves. Let God deal with others. God's purpose is that we get to know God so we have a better and deeper understanding of how to bring God's kingdom on earth Know Jesus. Follow his teachings and his way, his walk and working in the world around him. We are to imitate that. All of those things that I just said. We are to imitate that. That is the center that our lives should revolve around. Bringing the kingdom of God 
here and now on this earth. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that um, you love us like you do. We make you happy. You delight in us. We are the apple of your eye. And God, you have shown us a way to love and be and walk and work in this world that is beautiful. God, help us to live that out. Give us courage to do that. Give us conviction to be that. Help us to love one another a little bit better than we do today. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.